0: The words sound so benign. Less lethal, hard foam, projectile. Together, less lethal, hard foam projectiles sound like a junior high school science project. But they've become a favored crowd control measure for the Los Angeles Police Department and other law enforcement agencies over the last couple of years. These so-called less lethal weapons have left a trail of bloody injuries according to multiple lawsuits. Bruised throats, blown out eyes, crushed testicles, Civil rights groups have sued the LAPD, one of the largest police departments in the U.S., to stop their use. For now, those groups are winning, and activists across the country are taking note. I'm Gustavo Arellano. You're listening to The Times, daily news from The L.A. Times. Today is May 20th, 2021. Republican leaders oppose any congressional inquiry into the January 6th U.S. Capitol attack. Two-thirds of adults in California are now partially vaccinated against COVID-19. And Bitcoin's value is crashing. Like I've always said, the best investment is a VW bus. Hashtag van life. On today's show, we talked to freelance journalist Lexis Olivier Ray about his experience covering protests and witnessing the LAPD's heavy-handed tactics at protests. Then we turn to LA Times reporter Kevin Rector about a federal order that would temporarily ban LAPD from using less lethal weapons. George Floyd last May, we saw thousands of people take to the streets. They protested for months, but that wasn't the only large scale event with a heavy LAPD presence that happened in the past year. Last fall, Los Angeles also saw baseball fans celebrating the Dodgers World Series win. This March, there was another protest surrounding a homeless encampment in Echo Park near downtown LA. Each one of these events were for a different cause, but they ended in the same way. The Los Angeles Police Department came in declared an illegal gathering, and cleared the crowds with tactics that many activists have deemed violent. Frequently, they fired hard-foam projectiles. In some cases, protesters and even reporters covering these events were arrested and even shot with them for a number of alleged offenses. The police, on the other hand, say they failed to follow orders. I spoke to Lexus Olivier Ray, a freelance reporter who covered multiple protests. He was arrested and cited for failure to disperse during the night of the Dodgers World Series win. So Lexus, last summer you published this really powerful story for L.A. Taco at the height of the Black Lives Matter protests. And the headline says it all to me, quote, The scariest day of my life as a black journalist covering civil rights protests has been harrowing. Describe the experiences that led up to that essay.
1: Yeah, so that was based on an experience covering a protest in late May. So George Floyd was killed on May 25th. And on Saturday, May 30th, there was a big protest held near the Grove in L.A. It's a pretty affluent area, primarily white, and not necessarily the type of place that you would expect a Black Lives Matter protest to roll through.
0: What did you see during that protest then?
1: There was, I would say, thousands, if not tens of thousands, of people there. And after they marched from the park, um, for a while, all you could see were, were people from as far as Fairfax all the way to La Cienica. And there were speeches and just so many people that it was hard to keep track of what was going on. Eventually, they looped back towards the park, and that's when they were met with police lines and when things Abruptly started to escalate.
0: Everyone sit. Everyone sit. Sit, sit, sit. You recorded a lot of those videos and you posted it on social media and had a lot of disturbing images. What incidents do you remember the most?
1: I remember early on a cop car was set on fire. I, I took a picture of that and turned into sort of an iconic image. I remember an interaction that I had near third in fairfax while i was documenting a standoff between a group of police and a group of protesters over there. i'm a journalist i'm a journalist i'm a journalist go, go i'm a journalist go, go i'm a journalist you
0: go right over here.
1: i'm just trying to stay out of the way i was recording an interaction between a couple officers and some protesters and one of the police officers very quickly turned to me, ordered me to get back, and jabbed me into the stomach with a baton, which sent me flying back into a group of people that I believe were kneeling at the time.
0: You see everything that happened during that Black Lives Matter protest around Fairfax, then you go back home, you could just write about the protest itself, but instead you wrote this really powerful essay. So what did the essay say?
1: I guess I wanted people to understand just how conflicting it was for me to be out there as a black man and as a reporter. When you're covering protests, the media kind of has a privileged role in things, I would say. So, for example, I would be covering arrests and every single person around me, all the protesters would get arrested and then I would be able to flash my press pass and and go home. And. In covering those experiences, sometimes you get the feeling that media is maybe problematic. And there were actually people that said that to me that were, you know, the media is as bad as the police, one person said to me. So for me as a black man covering this, I really had to think about if I was doing the right thing, if I was causing more harm or if I was actually adding something to the conversation.
0: We'll be right back after this break. 2020 was horrible, but there were moments of joy as well, like when the Dodgers won the World Series. That and the Lakers winning were like, you know, holidays here in L.A. So people went out and celebrated. And you went and covered that when the Dodgers won the World Series. And you also covered how people got carried away and there was property damage. So then all of a sudden the police show up and they confronted you specifically. What happened?
1: So the night of the Dodgers World Series celebrations, October 27th, I was in Echo Park at first and then moved to downtown where there were celebrations. Hundreds of people in the streets, fireworks, burnouts. It was a real L.A. moment. That went on for a few hours and eventually the cops kind of got sick of it and they began to push people from where the festivities were to an area of downtown. As they were pushing um, a line of police officers, they stopped at an intersection after a supervisor told them to. And out of nowhere, a line of police officers from behind them pushed me into an intersection. And there was a car in the middle of that intersection. So I was confronted by this group of police officers and pushed against the car with really nowhere to go. They were telling me to move. And also giving orders to the car. So I was worried of, about the police but also potentially being run over or something. Eventually I went down to the ground and I just start screaming that I'm media. Remember the press! the And eventually they back off a friend picks me up and pulls me back to safety.
0: Uh, you upload the video of the, of the what happened during the Dodgers celebration, and then you write the story for LA Taco. What was the reaction to all of that?
1: Yeah, I put the video up pretty quickly and got a lot of DMs, phone calls. My mom actually, unfortunately, found out about what happened to me because she saw the Twitter video, which oh, damn. was a huge mistake on my part. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it definitely surprised yeah, people. Yeah, you,
0: you got to call mom first. Oh yeah, man. I learned
1: the hard way. I learned the hard way. I always call mom. <laughs> she was like, you know, I can, I'd can. i rather find out from you than find out from Twitter.
0: So the, yeah, LAPD arrested 18 people saying, you know, vandalism, all sorts of alleged offenses. But the only one that faces charges for failure to disperse is you. So how do you find out about it? And what's the official rationale from the LA City Attorney's Office?
1: Yeah, so at the beginning of the last month, Four months later, I get this letter. I immediately kind of have a bad feeling about it, open it up, and it says that they received a report stating that I failed to disperse the night of the uh, Dodgers World Series celebrations and that there was a hearing scheduled, and if I didn't appear for that hearing, um, it could result in criminal charges. I was shocked. I mean, it came out of nowhere. Like you mentioned, this was four months after... And the hearing was the following week, so I really only had a few days to digest things and and prepare for this hearing.
0: Do you think it was in retaliation for your LA Taco story and all the videos that you had been uploading?
1: I find it very difficult to believe that it's not some sort of retaliation. The LA Times did an investigation and found that um, an unknown police officer on their day off filed this report And this comes after, you know, my reporting on police officers and, of course, the video that eventually went viral.
0: And you're not the only reporter to have faced harassment from LAPD. Our own reporter, LA Times reporter James Quealy, was arrested at a protest at Echo Park in late March of this year uh, when the LAPD was trying to clear out a homeless encampment. You're actually the one who let us know about James, right? He was
1: actually one of the first people that was arrested. So... A group of protesters and media were all boxed in on Lemoyne Street near Echo Park Lake. And they began making arrests and kind of targeted the, I guess, the center of the mass of people. And James happened to be just a couple of steps in front of me, a little bit more to the center. And a couple of police officers just went up to him. He put his hands up and they carted him off to the side to cuff him.
0: So in the past year, you've covered large gatherings from the protests against police violence to the Dodgers winning the World Series to this year's protests in Echo Park. And each one ended with the LAPD, again, just using violent and questionable dispersal tactics. What's your takeaway?
1: Yeah, it's interesting because the Dodgers World Series night, those were celebrations initially. I mean, people were ecstatic. It was a historic night. It was a celebration on the streets. It was a party, honestly. And I think what it highlights is the fact that the LAPD, it doesn't matter if it's a protest or a celebration, they respond with the same force when they want to.
0: All right, thanks so much for this interview.
1: Thank you so much, Gustavo.
0: Ray says his case will remain open until the statute of limitations expires in October of this year. Coming up, we'll have more on the controversy surrounding how the LAPD handles protesters, this time over the use of what they call less lethal weapons. Last week, U.S. District Court Judge Consuelo B. Marshall issued a temporary limit on how the Los Angeles Police Department can use hard foam projectiles. This injunction dropped as the city faces millions of dollars in lawsuits, alleging injuries from them. Judge Marshall declared that she agrees with activists who say hard foam projectiles can cause, quote, irreparable harm. To talk more about the matter is L.A. Times police reporter Kevin Rector. Kevin, welcome to The Times. Thanks for having me. So describe exactly what these hard foam projectiles actually are.
2: Yes, the injunction speaks to 40 millimeter projectiles, and 37 millimeter projectiles. The 40 millimeter projectile is a hard foam round, but it's big. It's something like the size of a Coke can, rounded at the top. It's not a Nerf bullet, it's foam, but it's hard. Surgeons I've talked to who have treated some of the folks hit with these things say they're perfect for fitting right into someone's eye socket. The 37 millimeter fires five sort of foam, hard foam batons at a time. And those are meant to be bounced off the ground before striking people.
0: Can you describe some of the cases where those hit by these projectiles claim serious injury? Yeah, there's been a wide range.
2: And some of the injuries, police say, are related to these hard foam rounds, the 40 and the 37 that are subject to the injunction. Some of the other injuries are from beanbag rounds, which are not subject to the injunction, but a whole different sort of category of projectiles. But protesters have been badly injured in a number of ways. I've seen all sorts of pictures of large welts across people's abdomens and chests, legs, extremities. I've seen people's heads lacerated and bloodied. There was a man, he alleges he was shot in the eye with a 40 millimeter round after the Lakers won the NBA championship in October. He lost his eye. He was rushed into surgery. I spoke with his surgeon. His eye essentially exploded in the eye socket. I think he suffered an orbital fracture as well. People have lost teeth. I think a man lost eight teeth at the same incident after the Lakers game. People have had their testicles ruptured. If you think about a human body and where the various vulnerabilities are, these types of weapons can cause damage all over.
0: That same review board found that shooting a protester in the groin with a hard foam projectile during another protest last June was actually within policy. So what is exactly the LAPD policy for their use? Well, again, the policies vary depending on the weapon. The
2: 40 millimeter is only meant to be used as a targeted weapon to hit individuals who represent a physical threat to officers. The 37 millimeter is meant to be shot at the ground, that it can then bounce up at people who represent a physical threat. The weapons are not supposed to be targeted at people's heads or necks or other vulnerable parts of their bodies, according to the injunction and LAPD policy. They're not supposed to be fired at people for mere non-compliance or even just for verbal threats. They're not supposed to be fired at people who are running away. The beanbag rounds are, you know, have their own set of policies. And so that's really sort of at issue right now. The protesters see people getting badly injured and don't think that the LAPD uses the weapons appropriately. There were multiple reviews of the mass demonstrations last spring that found that they weren't used appropriately, that officers who were armed with these weapons weren't trained appropriately. And so that's another provision of the injunction that officers who are given these weapons to use at demonstrations have to be properly trained and qualified. Again, that's according to the department, who's qualified and who's not, what constitutes qualification. It's a complicated issue. And the police commission, which is a civilian board that oversees the LAPD, just this week talked about the fact that the training for these weapons can be stationary training. So officers are trained to shoot at a stationary target. But anyone who's been to a protest knows that pretty much no one is standing there stationary. We've seen the LAPD say, and officers say, at times as a defense, that they didn't mean to hit that person. They were aiming at someone else, right? Then should you have a weapon that's under policy only meant to be targeted at certain individuals? I mean, if you can't hit the person you're targeting, that's a problem in and of itself. So it'll be interesting to see how the issue progresses how the conversation about these weapons progresses in the case in which the injunction was issued. Because the injunction stands for the duration of the court case, but the court case itself may result in new rules for the weapons or a new settlement between the LAPD and protest groups about sort of the terms of engagement for these things.
0: Yeah, this injunction comes from a federal lawsuit that's alleging all this, you know, the misuse of these types of weapons. Then you also had in March, the L.A. City Council, they published their own report condemning the LAPD's crowd control tactics in general. How's the LAPD responding to all of this?
2: It's interesting. They are kind of responding in different ways depending on the venue. So in the court case, city attorneys are arguing, including when they argued against the injunction, that The LAPD has implemented changes, and it's training officers better, and it has these policies in place, and they are sufficient for these weapons, and officers need these weapons, et cetera. And then before the police commission, where they are trying to determine how to implement the various recommendations in multiple after-action reports on the failures of their response to the demonstrations last spring, police officials are acknowledging, look, we're still in the process of identifying how to move forward with these recommendations. We need millions of dollars to do it. We are trying to implement new training, including on these weapons. And so the response to the failures from last spring is very much an ongoing effort by the LAPD. And yet it is very clear, including in the court case, that It does not want to see these weapons go away. It does not want to see them shelved. It says officers need them. And it says that they are better prepared than they were last spring to use them. Although I think some of the protesters would disagree with that.
0: Is what's happening in LA, both the injunction about hard foam projectiles and also the general debate over how the LAPD tries to control crowds during protests, is that having impact nationwide?
2: I think people are probably watching what's going on in LA nationwide. LA, for better or worse, has long been a place that people watch for evolving law enforcement trends because LA has had such a fraught history with protest and demonstration. It has been at times on the forefront of some reforms related to how to deal with large crowds. There are also conversations playing out in other cities about these same types of weapons, whether and how they should be used at demonstrations, et cetera. And so I think as big cities continue to deal with these mass demonstrations and continue to run into problems with protesters and bystanders and others being injured, the conversation around these weapons is going to continue. But I don't know to what extent what happens in LA will roll out in other cities because police departments all over the country have strong feelings about these weapons. So just because LA may end up having to introduce new restrictions on the weapons coming out of this court case, I don't know that that would necessarily play out in other cities unless protest groups and demonstrators challenge these things in court there as well. And they they are doing so in some other places.
0: Thanks for this interview, Kevin. Yeah, thanks for having me. And that's it for this episode of The Times, daily news from the Los Angeles Times. Tomorrow, I'm handing off the mic to my colleague, Jim Rainey, he talks to a scientist who was one of the first to sound the alarm about COVID-19. Our show is produced by Shannon Lin, Stephen A. Cuevas, and Denise Guerra. Our executive producer is Abby Fentress Swanson. Julia Turner is our editor. Our engineer is Mario Diaz. And our theme music is by Andrew Epen. I'm Gustavo Ariano. We'll be back tomorrow with all the news and this month. Gracias.